going to do that again. I know it's rainy, it's subdued, but we're going to ramp it up. Good evening, church. There we go. There we go. So great to be with you all this evening. Uh, This is episode four of our series, Activated. And if I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, my name is Carter. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossbridge. So grateful that you have come, maybe even through floodwaters, as it always happens in Miami when it rains, to come and worship. And those of you online, so glad that you are worshiping with us there as well. I have a lot more things up on stage tonight, which you'll understand why in a moment, uh, because we're getting into the core of our series And if you started our series with us several weeks ago, you know that we're looking into the Holy Spirit. We're speaking about who the Holy Spirit is. And we're looking now into the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit activates in us, his church. Now, if you started all the way back at episode one, you know that I was encouraging you from the beginning to do what? Take notes. There we go. Take notes. You may say, I'm not a note taker. I'm telling you, you got to take notes in this series because what I shared was four years ago when we did this series under a different name, it changed my life, changed my life and my ministry. And I believe that if you engage and if you take notes and work through this with me, it will do the same. And so you can do it on your phone. You can do it on a moleskin. I just want to encourage you to do that. On the Crossbridge Brickle app, there's also a notes icon where I give you some notes. I think you should still take personal notes. But I'm giving you that because some of you last week were like, you went too fast. I was trying to take notes and I couldn't keep up. Well, there's a lot on there on the, on the app. So you can go there and always fill in the gaps if I'm moving too quickly, okay? And I also want to say this from the very beginning. Uh, now that we're getting into the core of this series where we're going to look at the 21 specific gifts separated into three categories, love gifts, which is what we're talking about tonight. Next week is word gifts, and the following week will be power gifts. This part of the series is like a trilogy, okay? This is like uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy, okay? If you just listen to tonight, and you don't listen to the next two sermons, it's like watching The Fellowship of the Ring and saying Lord of the Rings is not good, okay? You gotta watch all of it. It's like watching Star Wars A New Hope and not watching Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi and saying Star Wars is not a good film, it doesn't complete the circle. No, you have to go through the whole trilogy and yes, I only recognize those three in Star Wars, none of the others, okay? Don't judge me. The other thing, too, I was going to say this has nothing to do with the sermon. I need more nerds in the church. I've talked to like 25 people. Say, are you watching Rings of Power on Amazon? Everyone says no, okay? So if you are, come let me know so we can kind of just go outside and talk about Lord of the Rings, okay? There we go. So I'm encouraging you, if you're out of town, if you are sick, make sure you tune in online and go through the entirety of these next three sermons because they all work together. We're setting up the rest of the sermons tonight. So it's really important for you to hear from the very beginning. So, as I said, we're looking into love gifts this evening, which are the gifts that manifest the love of God in practical ways to the people of God, to the church. And I want to say from the beginning what I believe the church is like, and that's why I have this up here. The church is like potato head, okay? This is the church right here. This guy with a whole vibe. He's got a mustache, one tooth. He's rocking some nice sneakers. This is the church, okay? And I'm going to explain to you why this is the church in a moment. But I want to tell you what I, how this all works together. The church is a collection of individuals 
committed to a collective vision. That's the church. A collection of individuals committed together to a collective vision. The church is not a collection of individuals working out their individual faith through the programs and services that the professional Christians provide. That's not the church. It's a collection of individuals, everyone committed to a collective vision. Now, every church has a macro vision and a micro vision. The macro vision of the church is the vision that every single church should have, which is to preach Jesus and advance the kingdom of God. It is to bring heaven to earth. It is to be the hands and feet of Jesus and preaching the grace and love of Jesus to a hurting world. That is the macro vision of the church. The micro vision of the church is how an individual local church contextualizes that macro vision for their city and their people. What that looks like on the ground. And that's why you have different types of churches that have different individual visions. So for us here at Crossbridge, here's our vision statement. We are a family of churches seeking the renewal of cities through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's very important, very strategic. We are a family of churches. We have five churches here in Miami. We have one in Sao Paulo, and we have a movement of churches called the Bridge Movement. And our commitment together as a family is to bring renewal to cities. We're focused on cities primarily, and we want to bring physical, emotional, mental, social, and spiritual renewal, not through our own effort, but through the gospel. That's our vision. Macro vision made small. And the way that a church accomplishes its vision, both macro and micro, is through a healthy representation and deployment of spiritual gifts. Churches struggle to fulfill their vision that God has given them when they don't have a healthy representation and deployment of spiritual gifts in the church because oftentimes what happens, and maybe you've experienced this, is that the church is propelled by a few people that give most the effort. That's not what we have been designed and called to be. That's not God's vision for us, his church. We are a collection of individuals with a collective vision. The way we push that forward is through healthy representation and deployment of spiritual gifts. Not through marketing strategies, not through well-organized services, not even through good coffee, okay? That's not how we push the vision forward. It's by representing all of the gifts and deploying all the gifts in the church. And here's why I told you that the church is like Mr. Potato Head. Because... This right here, this guy, he's a vibe, and I made him, okay, that, so you can say that church is a vibe. You're like, I didn't know, learn, learn anything from church. I just learned that church is a vibe. I don't really know why. So he's a healthy representation of Potato Head. You can make Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head in many different ways. There's all types of things, but it's meant to be made with a nose and a mouth and eyes and arms and ears and feet. There's a way that it's recognizable. You can tell that this is potato head, but you know this. If you remember your childhood or you have children, you can also have potato head like this, okay? You can have like multiple eyes, a tongue on the side, all kinds of mouths, a hand kind of whatever this is, like a squirrel tail on top. This is also potato head. 
Now, this is terrifying. Like, if you woke up in the middle of the night and saw this, this is terrifying. But this is also potato head. The church is meant to be like this, not like this. But a lot of churches are like this. They have a lot of eyes, a lot of mouths, maybe one arm. They're not a healthy representation of what they've been called to be. A lot of churches look like that, right? Where there's a lot of people that are the eyes, there's a lot of people that are ears, there's a lot of people that are the mouth, but no arms to embrace, no feet to move. It's not a healthy representation because many churches, we've kind of professionalized Christianity to make it about working out your individual faith through the programs that the professional Christians provide for you. That's not the church. It's to be a place where all the gifts are represented. There is healthy functioning, mutual interdependence of the spiritual gifts. In fact, that's how they have been designed to work together. They have been designed to work together. Here's a a verse from 1 Corinthians, and this is from chapter 12, verse 18. The Apostle Paul says this, But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. So in Scripture, there's an imagery around we the church. And the main imagery that the Apostle Paul works out in 1 Corinthians when he's speaking about spiritual gifts is that we're a body. We are one body, all together, not multiple separate bodies. We're one body, different members of the body, different functions. And he speaks about how this kind of division and kind of terrifying nature of the church can play itself out. It's when people in the church say, hey, I'm not an ear, so I'm not a part of the body. Or hey, I'm not an eye, so I'm not a part of the body. It's where we elevate certain gifts and we say, well, this is what it looks like to really function in a spiritual manner in your church, and I'm not that, so I'm not really a part of it. The Apostle Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 12, and he says, if the body has only eyes, then it has no sense of smell. If the body is only ears, then it has no eyes to see. You see, what he's getting at is exactly what I'm saying, that we are to have a healthy representation of all of the gifts so that we might collectively move the vision that Jesus has given the church together. Not a few, but all of us. And so I want to ask you to pray two prayers over the next several weeks in particular. And I think these are two prayers that every single church should be praying. The first one is for you, and the second one is for other people. Okay, here's the first prayer. To pray this, God, would you awaken in me the spiritual gifts that you've given me and open up a pathway for me to deploy them? You can put that in your own language. God, make known to me the spiritual gifts you've given me and show me how I can deploy them in the church. It's the first prayer. The second prayer is this. God, would you awaken the spiritual gifts that you have given others and would you bring a representation of all the gifts to my church? Praying for others that spiritual gifts would be awakened to them, activated within them, and that your church, this church, Crossbridge Brickle, would have a healthy representation of all of the gifts. Prayer for you, prayer for others. Last week, a quick recap, I said that spiritual gifts are the only guaranteed places of power to serve from. You can serve from different 
places in the church and in your life. You can serve from passion. You can serve from compassion. You can serve from your talents that you've developed. You can serve from your successes. You can serve from multiple places. And God uses all of those. But the only places of guaranteed power to serve from is in spiritual gifts because you don't develop them. They're given to you by God. It's your unique functioning within the church. So spiritual gifts are the only places of guaranteed power to serve from, and there's 21 of them in three categories, and tonight we're looking into the love gifts. I want to say a couple things on the front end about spiritual gifts so that we don't kind of get confused as we move forward. And that's, the first one is this. Some of us have a tendency to believe that certain spiritual gifts are more spiritual than others or more supernatural. So you may think if I have a power gift and you have the gift of healing or the gift of faith or the gift of prophecy, that somehow you're more spiritually mature than someone who has the gift of administration. Or somebody who has the gift of mercy feels they're closer to Jesus' heart than the person that has the gift of exhortation. Or the person that has the gift of teaching is more theologically mature and biblically mature than the person that has a different gift. There is no economy in first-class gifts, okay? There's no economy gifts and first-class gifts. It's not like, hey, I'm working on mercy so I can upgrade to leadership. I'm working on exhortation so I can upgrade to prophecy. There is no upgrading gifts. There are no superior gifts, only a superior spirit who empowers them in everyone. There's no first class and second class gifts. All the spiritual gifts are spiritual gifts given by the spirit. There's no first class in economy. Secondly, with, in, in regards to spiritual gifts, as I said earlier, there's an interdependence between them. So there's no gifts that are more important than others, and they actually all work together. For instance, the gift of administration needs the gift of leadership. The gift of evangelism needs to be connected to the gift of mercy. The gift of tongues, as we see in the Bible very clearly, needs the gift of interpretation. The gifts are dependent upon one another because God's vision for us, the church, is that we would be a collection of individuals committed together to forward his collective vision for us and that we'd function together and work together, that we'd be dependent upon one another. The gifts have been given for you to serve from as a place of power alongside of others. And the Apostle Paul speaks very clearly about this in Romans chapter 12, which is our passage for tonight. Romans chapter 12, just verse 3 through 8, says the following. Here's God's word to us. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. See the interdependence. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy 
in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is very important for us to hear what the Apostle Paul is saying. The Apostle Paul is saying that we very clearly are one body, many members, dependent upon each other, and that we have been given gifts that we are to use them. Now, verse 3 through 5 is vital for us to understand when we're talking about spiritual gifts because he starts out and he says, you have been given gifts, grace has been assigned to you, and you should not boast in them. That's really important. Why should you not boast in your gifts? Well, one, because there's no economy gifts and first-class gifts. But secondly, because they've been given to you. You have not developed them. You, you may be sitting here tonight and be like, hey, I'm, I'm just beginning my journey of faith. I don't have any gifts yet, I don't think. No, you do. <laughs> the Spirit has given them. Whether you have been a Christian for a minute or 20 years... The Spirit has given gifts. They may be deactivated because you have never worked through them and prayed to the Spirit to activate them in your life, but you've been given those gifts and you are to use them. And the reason I'm telling you this, these gifts have been given, they're not developed, you're part of the body, many members, different functions, is because I want you to hear this very, very clearly. And that is this. You matter to the church. Not the person next to you, Not the person behind you, not the people on stage only. You matter to the church. Because sometimes we can fall into thinking that the people that really matter to the church are the people that have the gifts on the head, the mouth, the preacher, right? The ears, the staff who's listening to the people and counseling and comforting people. The eyes, the leadership that's casting vision for the church. Sometimes we can think that those are really the important gifts. I don't really matter that much to the church. You couldn't be more wrong. Because if you have eyes and a mouth and ears, but you have no arms, you can't embrace anyone. If you have no legs, you can't move anywhere. You could have great vision and great teaching and really listen and care for people, but you're not moving anywhere if you have no legs. If you have no core, you can't support yourself and stand up straight. You matter to the church because you matter to God who has given you gifts. And he wants you to use them and discover them and deploy them in the church. So if you were to think, I don't really know if I have gifts and I don't really think that it matters if I use them. You're denying exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that you've been given these gifts for you to use them. And in fact, when you downplay the gifts that have been given to you, it not only affects your faith, but it affects others too. Because we're meant to use our gifts together. So if, what, if your gift is a gift of movement and it's like a gift of the leg and you're not using it because you've downplayed it and you don't think that you matter to the church, then you're causing the church to walk with a limp. If you have gifts of embrace and mercy and you are someone that would help to embrace and love people in their time of need, but you downplay it and you don't utilize it, you're affecting not only your faith, but the church. Because we are collectively to move the vision forward together as we discover our gifts, as we deploy our gifts, as we develop our gifts, 
because we're one body. Many members with different functions meant to depend on each other. You matter to the church. I hope that's established deep within you. And I want to say this too as we're about to jump into looking at these four specific love gifts tonight. Some of the gifts that you will discover over the next three weeks may be connected to your personality. You may say, that makes total sense. And everyone around you may say, it makes complete sense that you have that gift. I know you, and that's exactly how you are. But you may possess a gift that has nothing to do with your personality. In fact, quite the opposite. Because you don't possess a gift based upon your personality, it's because God has given it to you. So for all the introverts in the room, you may have the gift of teaching. You're like, no, I don't. You may have the gift of evangelism. You're like, definitely not. No, it's not given to you based upon your personality. It's given to you because God has apportioned it. In fact, some of the greatest preachers I have ever listened to are introverts because they received that gift and they deployed it. Doesn't mean it's easy, but they deployed it. Hey, extroverts in the room, okay? You may have the gift of administration. You may have the gift of discernment, of listening and processing with people. See, it's not based upon your personality. It may be, but it may not be. It may also be based upon your passions and your skills that you've developed. It may be based upon your successes in life, but it may not be. So you may be highly intelligent, and everybody tells you how wise you are, but you may not have the gift of knowledge. You may be a really strong communicator, and at work, you're always doing presentations, and people tell you all the time that you're great at public speaking, but you don't have the gift of teaching. It may be connected to these things, but it may not be. And you may be thinking right now, that's great, okay, I understand that, but how in the world do I know if I've received a spiritual gift? I've had many conversations and text messages and conversations after church the past couple weeks like, hey, how do I actually know like, if I have a spiritual gift or not? Do I just like choose one? Or does it just like miraculously, like God tells you in a voice, like administration? You're like, whoa, wow. I didn't, I didn't know I was going to have that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you three markers for you to tell if you have a spiritual gift, okay? So if you're going to write anything down, write these down. Here are the three markers for you to be able to discover whether or not God is activating a gift in your life. The first way that you can discover a gift that God has given you is through what's been the answer this whole series is what? The Spirit. The, trust the Spirit to make it known. And here's how I have found the Spirit to make known spiritual gifts to people. One, internal conviction. There's something that the Spirit does in people where He gives a conviction that you have a gift. It's just there. It's deep within your soul. And secondly, because you earnestly desire a gift. So we may go through these gifts and you may say, I really want to have that gift. I really want to see God activate that in my life. I want to serve from that place. Trust that that may be the Spirit making known to you that that's a gift that He's given you. Trust the Spirit, internal conviction, and an earnest desire for a gift. Secondly, diagnose your complaints. Listen, I know people complain in the church. You know, newsflash, I know, it's shocker. People complain, okay? What I'm going to ask you to do is diagnose 
your feelings around certain things in the church. Call them like the places we could improve, you know. (laughs) Diagnose that. If you feel the church needs to be more hospitable or needs to be serving people more, you probably have a love gift. If you believe that the church needs more of a teaching ministry and more discipleship opportunities, you probably have a word gift. And if you think worship is too short and too quiet and there needs to be more prayer and more celebration of miracles in our midst, you probably have a power gift. Diagnose your complaints, your areas of improvement. The Spirit can make known your gift in that way. And lastly, there's kind of four parts to this, but it's pretty quick. Analyze the ease, notice the frequency, test the results, and feel a closeness. Here are the the last way for you to discover. Spiritual gifts will come easy to you. It's not like you're like really trying. Now, it may be a step of courage and faith to try it because it may be very different from your personality. But once you begin to exercise the gift, it will come easy. Secondly, notice the frequency of this gift showing up in your life. As an example, if you are a person that is constantly getting in conversations around faith with friends and coworkers, you probably have the gift of evangelism. If you are someone that people go to for advice or for feedback or for counseling, they want to get coffee with you and just kind of share with you what's happening in their life and they want your insight, you probably have the gift of discernment. Notice the frequency of these things showing up in your life. Third, test the results. Spiritual gifts produce greater spiritual power. For instance, all of these gifts most of these gifts, we are all called as Christians to exercise mercy and service. And we're all leaders, evangelism, praying for healing. We, all of these gifts, we're to exercise as spiritual practices in our lives. But spiritual gifts produce greater power. If you have the gift of healing, it's going to produce greater power when you pray for healing. When you have the gift of evangelism, you're going to see more people come to faith. When you have the gift of discernment, you're going to see God bring insight into people's lives that is of greater power. If you have the the gift of exhortation, when you exhort and challenge and encourage someone, it's going to produce greater growth in their life. Test the results. And lastly, feel a closeness to Jesus. When you serve from your spiritual gifts, there's nothing more energizing. It's not a drag. You don't feel burned out. You actually sense that, that Jesus is fulfilling that promise that he's going to make your joy complete. He's, going to ma- he's making your joy complete as you serve from him. And in a unique way, you feel close to Jesus because you're serving from the gift that God has given you and called you to function within. And so I did a long setup there because it's important as we're going to kind of hit a lot of the gifts over the next few weeks. And tonight, just going to very briefly look at four. Next week, there's many more. And these gifts, the love gifts, they manifest the love of Jesus in practical ways. They are supportive gifts. Now, that is not uh, economy or first class. They support the mission and the vision of the church. Without love gifts, the church can move nowhere and care for no one. These gifts are vitally important to support the mission of the church. So here is the first love gift 
I have it here. So I have a couple of things I want to, definitions. The first one is the gift of administration. The gift of administration could be defined like this. It is the capacity to manage details of service functions so as to support and free up those in leadership to prioritize their efforts. This is the gift where people love to organize things and help things function better. You are the person that is concerned not where are we going, but how are we getting there? When someone casts vision, you say, okay, that's great. Let's get out of the clouds. Let's come down to earth and talk about how we're going to get to that destination. This is the gift of administration. You probably love spreadsheets. Love them. And this gift helps to move forward the church. In fact, where we see this gift show up in Scripture is in Romans, sorry, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, the Apostle Paul says the following. He says that administration is one of the gifts that he has appointed to the church. And this word administration is sometimes translated guidance. It comes from a nautical term, which means helmsman. This is someone who steers the ship. They're not the captain. They don't chart the course and figure out where they're going to go. But they're the person that once the, ch- the course is charted, they grab the wheel and they help steer the ship and get it there safely. You see how important this gift is? The gift of administration, one that I don't have and I need people in my life that have it. Because they help drive the ship safely forward. Here are some signs that you have the gift of administration. You love organizing and streamlining and clarifying. You're concerned for the whole group and helping move everybody together. And you have profound spiritual joy when you exercise your administrative muscles. The gift of administration. Secondly, is the gift of helps or service. The gift of helps or service. Here's the definition. The gift of helps refers to the capacity to unselfishly meet the needs of others through very practical service. Verse 7 of Romans 12 says, if service in our serving. This is someone who wants to serve to help fulfill the needs of the church. It's primarily focused internally in the church to meet needs. If you have this gift, here are some signs. One, you find joy in doing the simple and messy tasks that nobody else wants to do. You see a need and you fill it. You don't, you don't feel as if any kind of need is something that you can't try, at least attempt. You'll learn something. You'll figure something out to try to meet a need. When there's a need, you fill it. You are the behind-the-scenes type of person. And the reason that you serve in this regard with helps and service is because you want to see progress and you're not concerned with praise. You're not looking for praise. You just want to bring progress to the church and progress in other people's lives. And so when there's a need, you will step in and fill it. And I want to say something about this gift. And I've seen this time and time again here at this church because there's a lot of needs to set up and tear down and behind the scenes needs. When people notice others serving with the gift of helps, it activates a great momentum in others. And you may never see that because When people notice that you're constantly behind the scenes, filling needs and helping, it activates in other people that awareness of, hey, I need to serve. I need to find my place to function. It has great power. 
because it reveals the love of Jesus who serves us so practically as well. It's the gift of helps. Third is the gift of mercy. Seen in verse 8, it says of Romans, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. A, A definition would be this. The gift of mercy demonstrates cheerful service to those in need. People that have the gift of mercy have deep empathy and compassion, and they're very concerned for meeting the immediate needs of people in the church and in the city. It, it, it sees no, it, their mercy and empathy and compassion knows no bounds. Here's a great example of a very practical way that you may know if you have the gift of mercy. When you saw the reports of what happened on the West Coast from the hurricane, which is so tragic and saddening, immediately, for those of you that have the gift of mercy, what came up through your soul and into your mind was, how do I help? Can I drive over there? Can I volunteer? What can we do? You immediately started to think about what can be done to meet the immediate needs of those that are hurting. This is the gift of mercy. It's different from helps and service because helps and service is behind the scenes, meet the needs, help move the mission and vision of the church together. Mercy is concerned with people, specifically needs of people, emotional, mental, physical, spiritual needs to meet it with compassion and do it with a cheerful spirit. In Acts chapter 9, verse 36, we see this gift when it speaks about Doris, this woman who has the gift of mercy and and how God used her in powerful ways. It says, she was always doing good and helping the poor. Immediate needs, meeting needs, caring for people, pouring out the love and the mercy of Jesus on others. It's always welling up in you. Gift of mercy. And lastly, the gift of giving. The gift of giving we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. It says, the one who contributes in generosity. Here's a definition. The gift of giving refers to the capacity to give liberally to meet the needs of others. And it's done so in a pure motive to see the mission and vision of the church accomplished. Now, the gift of giving is one of those gifts where people are like, I don't have that one. That's not the one I want. Right? Because it has to do primarily with finances. Oftentimes, it's focused primarily on finances. Like, skip, that's not me. Now, I'm not the gift of giving. But the gift of giving is, is, is separate, actually, from giving to the church in terms of that calling for all Christians, rich or poor, new Christian, longtime Christian. We're all called to give generously with a cheerful spirit to the church of God. We're called to live that practice out, and God uses it to transform us as a spiritual practice. The gift of giving is different. The gift of giving sees no percentages. Oftentimes, if you are operating in a percentage, like a 10%, that's like a floor. That's the basement. You're always thinking about ways to give more, to earmark money that can be set aside for future opportunities to meet needs. You are thinking about how can you steward everything that God has given you and use it to advance the church. And I want to say this, it's really important. The gift of giving is not just for those who have a lot of money and have done really well. You can be, have a very modest salary and have a bank account that you're constantly monitoring, monitoring as bills come in and still have the gift of giving. We see that very clearly in Scripture where some of the most generous giving people were those that had the least, and Jesus honors them. 
because they give from that cheerful spirit. They want to steward what God has given them to make Jesus' love known. And so they give from that. One of the greatest stories of someone that had the gift of giving and how they implemented it in the church comes from the previous church I was at. There was a couple where, and you see the interdependence of gifts here, the husband had the gift of giving and the wife had the gift of mercy. Now watch how this worked together. They had a a heart and a passion to meet the immediate needs that arose in the church or the church became aware of. And they also had a passion to use their resources and finances to help meet those needs. So they started something in the church called God's Pocket, which was this secret fund. The church knew about it, but nobody knew who gave to it. It was a secret fund that was $20,000. And every month, that $20,000 was set aside to meet needs in the church, help somebody with their mortgage, help somebody with groceries, get somebody a car where their car broke down, help somebody in, in a different organization that the church was supporting. And whenever the $20,000 went down, say to 15, they filled it back up. Every month, it just got filled back up to $20,000. And the only thing they wanted was a report every month and of the stories and the things that were accomplished through that giving, stories of mercy. And I can't tell you how that act of generosity and mercy combined had major effects in the community and served and cared for so many people. Amazing. Now, if you're thinking, I'd love to do that one day, you may have the gift of giving. It's a powerful gift, a profound gift. And that's what these gifts are. These love gifts are so vital. They support the church. They move the church forward, and they reveal to us the very practical love of Jesus. The very love of Jesus where he models these gifts too, right? His ministry was administrated by the Spirit. Jesus was someone who was devoted to serving and helping. We see it time and time again with his, his disciples who he is serving behind the scenes and setting them up to succeed. Jesus who was overflowing with mercy and compassion and empathy for even the very people who put him on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus who gave everything, including his life. See, Jesus is the perfect embodiment of all of the gifts. And when you serve within your gift, you are following the way and the model of Jesus. I want to close with this verse. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It comes from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Notice the gifts, these four love gifts in this verse. Here's what it says. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I've always been fascinated by this verse because it's a verse of God's great generosity to us, that he wants to meet us where we're at, that he wants us to approach him, he wants us to come with confidence, he wants us to ask. And he says here that we're to draw near, that we're to chart a course, we're to go through prayer, this is how it's administrated. How does God dispense his mercy and and help to us? We draw near to him and we receive his mercy, and we find grace to help. It's very practical. When you draw near to God, he will dispense his mercy, and he will give grace, very practical grace 
to help you in your time of need. And so here's what I want to ask you. I want to ask you to do one of two things. I want to ask you to draw near in prayer to God right in this moment and ask him for help and mercy to reveal to you your gifts if any of these four gifts are yours to awaken you and activate them within you and give you great joy, give you the courage to tell other people so that you might deploy them. Come to God with confidence, seeking help in this need to know your gifts. Trust that he'll give you that mercy. That's the first prayer. And the second prayer is this. Maybe you've been listening tonight and thinking, I never really understood that the church is meant to function like this. I never really understood the significance of spiritual gifts. I'm fascinated with the the way that God has arranged this, but I'm still very new. I still have a lot of questions. I really don't know if I, I believe yet. Maybe you walked in and saw that sign that says belong before you believe, and you're like, hey, this is a safe place. And it is. This is a safe place for you to belong before you believe. But I want to invite you to take that verse and apply it to yourself too. Maybe to bring your doubts, to bring your fears, to bring your questions, to bring your trauma, to bring whatever it was and whatever it is that's keeping you from really feeling like you belong to the family of God, that you belong to God at all, or you belong to Jesus, and to come and ask very specifically and practically, Jesus, I want to experience your love. Will you pour your grace out on me? I'm putting all of this before you. I'm going to come with confidence. I don't feel worthy, but I'm trusting that you accept me because you say you do. Do you draw near and experience that mercy? So will you pray those two prayers? I'm going to pray both of them for us. Would you close your eyes? And one of the things that I like to do when I pray at times is just to, where I am, open my hands as a sign of, of surrender and openness For those of us praying for spiritual gifts tonight, would you pray this with me to yourself? God, I approach you with confidence. I'm asking for help to reveal and activate gifts in me. Would you show mercy to me, God? Would you show me now if I have any of these gifts, gifts of administration, or helps, or mercy, or giving? Would you excite me and empower me with that? Would you fill me, Holy Spirit, right now with an internal conviction, with an earnest desire, and with an awareness that these are gifts that I am to deploy? And for those of you that don't feel as if any of these gifts resonate, would you ask God to make you open and aware in the coming weeks for that realization. Will we also pray now together for anyone that feels as if there's been a distance between them and God? Would you pray this with me? God, I have not felt worthy. I haven't felt accepted. I have barriers. I have wounds. I struggle with feeling like I belong. I'm coming to you now, asking for mercy, asking for help in that need. Would you fill me with your grace, God? 
Would you help me to believe? Would you help me to trust? Would you help me to experience your love, Jesus, that you have declared is free through faith in your death and resurrection? I give you this all. I ask for a touch of heaven this evening. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.